following along with us, is that the chosen one, okay, this, this Messiah, the one, the long-awaited Messiah, he would be a greater prophet than Moses. Now, if Abraham has prominence in the scripture, I don't know of anybody else besides Abraham, maybe David, and we're going to talk about him here in a little bit, but I don't know of anybody else who is more revered and more respected and more honored in scripture beside Abraham than Moses. Moses was a unique character, a unique individual. I mean, if you talk about the history of the people of Israel, I mean, this guy was really amazing. There's so many things that Moses was part of in God's greater plan of redemption. Of course, we know Moses had a unique relationship with the Lord himself. And so for an Israelite or later as the Jewish people were settled, still settled in the land, they revered Moses probably more than anybody else, and rightfully so. But you know that it was Moses himself that made a promise that as great as he may have been, right, one day there was somebody coming that would be what? Greater than him. Even greater than Moses. So let's turn there real quick. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 this morning. We'll, we'll use this as uh, kind of our initial scripture to look at. So Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Listen to what is communicated through Moses. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. Okay, first thing that we need to understand, this kind of, this kind of falls in line with what we found out last week, that, that the Messiah, the chosen one, would be the star of Jacob. He would come from the people of Israel. And so now we see that Moses is talking to the, to the whole congregation of Israel, and he's telling them that one day there will be a prophet like me. He'll be greater than me, but he'll be a lot like me. And most importantly, he will come from among your brothers. In other words, he will come from the children of Israel. He will come from this nation, this people that we call Israel. So this is what he says. He says, it is to him, listen to what Moses says, it is to him that you should listen. Listen to him. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Does anybody remember the baptism of Jesus? The Lord, the heavens were open, the spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove. And a voice declares from heaven, this is my beloved son. What does he say? Listen with, him, with whom I am well pleased. And he said, do what? Listen to him. Listen to him. That was God's way of verifying what Moses had predicted about 1,400 years before this, that when the Father declared from heaven, hey, you know the one that Moses was talking about, the prophet who was to come that was going to be greater than Moses and that, that everyone was looking for and expecting to come? Guess what, guys? Hey, here he is. He is my beloved son. I'm pleased with him, and I'm asking you to what? Listen to him. Because every word that Jesus spoke was the word of God. Because he is God, and he is called the what? The word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that. He is the personification of the word, the truth, 
of God. So Moses is talking here in Deuteronomy 18. He's saying, listen, there's going to be a prophet like me. He's going to come from Israel. You need to listen to him. And in verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. Okay, so if you remember the people were, were just overwhelmed with the presence of God, the glory of God. They're like, Moses, look, we don't want to hear from God anymore. We just want to listen to you. We just want to hear you, you be our mediator. You be our translator because we, we're afraid to have to listen and to see the glory of God in his fullness. And so that's what he's saying here. And look at verse 18. Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up, okay, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So let's think about Moses for just a second. Think about the life of Moses, just just a just a highlight of his career. Right. He is the mediator between God and man. He speaks the word of God as the prophet of God. Right. He he met God. He, he had a relationship so close to God that he had a relationship where he met him. What? Face to face. Moses was called the most humble man in the world. Think about that for a second. Moses had a spirit of humility like no one else. Moses was the deliverer. He was the redeemer of Israel. As he went in, God used him to go into Egypt. He used him to perform signs and wonders in Egypt. And he was the deliverer, bringing the people out of bondage and bringing them into the liberty of their freedom. And he was a righteous judge. So all of these characteristics, even as great as Moses was, he himself said, listen, guys, there's coming someone after me who's going to be greater than me. He's going to be the, be the greater mediator. He's going to be the greater redeemer. He's going to be the greater judge. He's going to be the greater prophet. He's going to, be, he's going to perform greater miracles than I performed. He's going to do all of these things and more. Because even as great as Moses was, Moses was not perfect, was he? Moses could not save anybody. Moses needed a savior himself. And so I want, to, I want to look at a couple of passages that I think will really uh, clarify this as well. Look at, look at John chapter 5. Let's flip now from Deuteronomy. Flip over to John 5 with me this morning. Because when you start tracing this stuff through the scripture, guys, it's just, it shows up everywhere. It really does. And it kind of helps us understand what the people in, in the days of Jesus, what they were thinking and how they were, they were contemplating and they were probably wrestling in their heart and their mind. Could this be the one? As a matter of fact, you remember even John the Baptist, he, when, he, when he came on the scene, people came to John and, and they would ask him questions like, Hey, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Uh, are, are you the prophet? Who are they talking about? When they say, are you the prophet? Well, they're talking about the one predicted in Deuteronomy 18. And John was like, no. I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not Elijah, right? So John had his own place in ministry. So the people are anticipating these things, they're, they're trying to figure these things out. As, as uh, Jesus comes on the scene, he is made, he's causing quite the stir right there in Israel. And listen to what Jesus himself says. Look at John chapter 5, verse 39. Listen, these are amazing words. John 5, 39, Jesus speaking. He said, you search the scriptures... 
because you think that in them you have eternal life. But look at what he says. But it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is now saying everything you read in the scriptures that you're looking for, guess what? It's right here before you. Everything is talking about who? About me. That's what he says. Verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So Jesus is kind of being harsh with the people here. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Listen to what he says, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Now listen to what he says, verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. What a profound statement. Because he wrote about me. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, if you're looking for the prophet that Moses predicted would come, and you're thinking that Moses is somehow your deliverer, or you're thinking that the one that Moses is looking forward to is going to be your deliverer, I'm telling you right now, I'm that guy. I'm the chosen one. Because everything that Moses wrote in the scriptures, he was writing about who? About me. Now, I want y'all to think about that for a second. That's pretty arrogant for somebody to, to say that all of the scriptures in the Hebrew text were about him. That would be a pretty arrogant statement for someone to make, wouldn't it? Unless it was what? Unless it was true. And that's what we find out here. And so Jesus made some bold statements about himself. And so in verse 47, he says, if you do not believe Moses, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So here we see Jesus is this greater prophet. Now, one more, one more scripture I want to share with you before I move on. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, because the author of Hebrews also touches on this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than who? Than Moses. You see what he's doing here? He's saying, listen, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and boasting in our hope, in our boasting in our hope. You see what he's doing here? Moses, yes, he was a faithful servant. Moses, yes, he, he, he played a profound role in the redemption of God's people. But Moses was just a servant. He was just another man. Jesus, though, He wasn't just another man. He was God's own what? God's own son. He was the chosen one. And so now we already see that that the Messiah had to be a greater prophet than Moses. And everything that we see witnessed about him, even Jesus himself testifying of himself, 
claimed to be that prophet who would come to be greater than Moses. All right, number two. Number two. So again, we're building on this profile, right? We're, we're tracing the, the thread of Messiah throughout the scriptures. Number two, the chosen one would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. He would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, here's what's happening. We've got this, this big picture, okay? We know that, that Messiah would be a, a son of Abraham. Well, Abraham had many sons, like Father Abraham, right? Had many sons. We knew that he would be a star of Jacob. He would be among the brothers of, of Israel. But, that, but we're talking about tri 12 tribes. We're talking about millions of people. Historically, this is still a big group of people. So now all of a sudden, the scriptures narrow the focus a little bit closer and says, now there's going to be one of the 12 tribes of Israel that the chosen one will come from. And which tribe did God choose? He chose Judah. He chose Judah. Flip to, flip to Genesis 49. Let's go back a little bit. Genesis 49. This is another prophecy that we discover all the way back at the end of Jacob's life. Genesis 49. Jacob, just to set the context, he's, he's bringing all of his children together. He knows that his time is come. He's nearing the days of his death. He wants to, to, to pronounce his final blessings over each of his 12 sons. This is the, the chapter where Jacob takes the opportunity to bless his sons. Listen to what he says about his son Judah. Genesis 49 verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares to rouse him. Look at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the people. And so here we see in Genesis 49 that Jacob is prophetically giving us another clue, another puzzle piece to the picture of who Messiah would be. Now we can start to narrow our focus from just the overall whole house of Israel, the all 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Now we can focus on this one tribe, the tribe of Judah. Jesus would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Hebrews 7, it says, It is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. So he came to his own people, the Jewish people. Remember, the descendants of Judah who survived even the exile into Babylon. They came back to the land. And that is so necessary and important because had they not come back to the land and reestablished their life there in Israel, you see, that was the purpose for the Messiah to be born. The Messiah had to come from Judah and he had to be born in Israel. And so we see now Jesus is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, when you think about a lion, now, now when, we, when we talk about Jesus being born and when he came the first time as a baby, we think about the humility of Christ, don't we? I mean, we think about how he, he is so humble, he wrapped himself in flesh, he became a, a, 
a baby child, someone that was dependent upon others. He lived this life of humility. So he, we really emphasize more of the lamb-like qualities of Jesus at his first coming. Of course, because we know that, that as the lamb of God, Jesus Christ eventually gave his own way. He gave his life. But do you know that that same lamb, that precious little humble child, was also the what? The lion. Wrapped up into that one individual is, is the lion and the lamb. What do you think about when you think about a lion? He's the king of the what? King of the jungle. I don't know if lions actually live in jungles or not. I think they live on the savannah out in the prairie. But nonetheless, we understand what was being said, right? That, like the, a lion has no natural enemies, right, except baby man. A lion is the king of the beast, right? He's the most fearsome. He, he's a conquering animal. He, he's this royal animal that gets this, this royal perspective, the, the mane of the lion. You kind of have all of this imagery that's all wrapped up in this, in this uh, characteristic of the, the lion. The lion is the one that conquers all of its prey. It conquers all of its enemies, okay? So this is kind of this idea that we see that Jesus would be not just a lamb, but he, we're going to talk about the lamb next week, actually, on Christmas Day. I want to really emphasize the coming of the suffering of Jesus. But today, let's look a little bit of, his, of the aspect of his conquering nature as a lion. Flip with me real quick. We're going to go to Joel chapter 3. You're, get, you're doing your Bible drills this morning, by the way. If you hadn't been, been flipping through scriptures lately, this is going to give you an opportunity, right? Joel chapter 3. Again, we're, we're emphasizing the lion who's coming from the tribe of Judah. Joel 3, look at verse 14. Now, this is a passage that is, that is depicting the end. This is a passage that's depicting the, the end of the age, the final battle, the coming of the king. All of those things are in view here. Listen to the language. Verse 14 of Joel chapter 3. Multitudes. Multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision, the sun and the moon are darkened. The suns withdraw their shining. The Lord, what does he do? He's roaring. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Think about that for a second. When the creator, when the king returns in all of his power and all of his glory, he's going to roar. And his voice is going to be so loud, so deafening, that it says that everything will be shaken. Look at what it says. The heavens and the earth will do what? They will quake. They will shake. Guys, this is the imagery that we see in the scriptures about the Lord being a lion. So if we're, if we're thinking about a lion, someone who overcomes, Jesus is the overcoming king, okay? And I just want to make this real personal to you today. How do we overcome? If we know that Jesus has already overcome all of our enemies, right? Every major obstacle in life that we have, what are they? Think about it. We have a sin problem. We, we can't just erase our sin 
We can't just say, well, God, I'm sorry, and, and, and everything, all the consequences of our sin just goes away. That's just not how it works, right? We have this, this major sin problem that we really can't do anything about on our own, so we need somebody to take care of our sin problem for us. Well, guess what Jesus did? He went to the cross, right? He died. He died to take our place. He died to provide mercy for us. He died to give us forgiveness, to take that punishment for us. He took care of our sin problem. Guys, we have a fear problem. We're afraid. We're afraid of life. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of all kinds of things. We have all these insecurities. Guess what? Jesus said, do not be what? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I'm the lion. If you have a lion walking beside you, who are you going to be afraid of? You should have no fear when you know that the king of kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is with you. And then we have a death problem. We have a death problem. Guess what? Jesus took care of that, took care of that one as well, did he not? Through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to be afraid to die. We understand that in him we have victory. We, we are conquerors. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to challenge you with today is you're thinking about no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is that you're fearing, is that you can overcome. And the Bible is clear about how we overcome. And I think sometimes we overlook this, but I want to share it with you. It's worth our time. So I want you to go to 1 John chapter 5. Because again, what are we talking about? This Messiah, the chosen one, he's of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a lion. He's a conquering king. He's an overcomer. But then how do we overcome? 1 John 5 tells us exactly how we do that. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 5. It says, everyone, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Think about that. How do we show love for God? By obeying his what? Obeying his commandments. It's very simple, guys. Every time we break one of God's commandments, every time we fall into sin, we are hurting God's heart. We really are. We're breaking the hearts of others, and we're breaking the heart of God. But if you just want to say you love God, that's great. We all say that we love God, but he's just simply saying, listen, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. So just obey me. It's simple. Now listen. Listen to what he says. Verse 4. This is the key. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our what? Our faith. How do we overcome? By what? By faith. You see, you have fear or faith. Those are the only two choices. We can either be afraid or we can believe God's promises. So this is how we overcome. We do not walk by sight, but we walk in this world by what? By faith. And what is faith? I just want to keep it very simple. This is a word we throw out there. We've been in church for our whole lives, and we talk about faith all the time. What is faith ultimately? Let me break it down to you really simple. Faith is simply taking God at his word. That's it. Do you really believe that what he has told you here in the scripture, what the revealed word of God to you, do you really believe that it's true? That's it. 
If you stand on the promises of God, you take God at his word, that is what it means to exercise faith. That is overcoming. Look at what he says in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that today? That's That's the key. There's no more important question. At the end of the day, when we stand before God, God's not going to ask you, what was your education level? How much money did you make? How many, what was your family life like? What was your influence and popularity among your peers? He's not going to ask you what kind of a career that you had. He's not going to ask you what you made on your, uh, your, your test scores, students. He's not going to say what kind of a degree. He's not going to ask you any of those questions. The only question that matters at the end of the day when we stand before God is, Did you believe in my one and only son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe? And through that faith in Christ, we what? We overcome. We are more than conquerors. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 8? He said, there's nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate you from what? From the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Because we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we're super conquerors. We are, we are privileged people to be living in this world when this whole world around us, so many people out there walking in darkness, have no hope, they have no joy, they have no assurance of heaven, they have no peace in their heart, they don't understand the love of God, they're out there lost in the world, and yet we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been brought into this relationship with God. We're super conquerors. We can, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The love of God is what is settled in our hearts. That's what Christmas is all about. For God so what? So loved that he gave. He gave. So we see now that we, we, we have this, this clearer picture of who the Messiah was going to be, right? I got two more for you and we're done. So we've already talked about the Messiah to be a greater prophet than Moses. He had to be born of the line of the tribe of Judah. More specifically... He had to be the root of Jesse, the righteous branch. Now, we don't give Jesse much airtime in churches anymore. Does anybody even know who Jesse is? Jesse, the father of David. Jesse is an interesting individual. Now, Jesse was from the tribe of, anybody? Judah. Remember, Messiah had to come from Judah. Jesse was... From the tribe of Judah, as a matter of fact, Jesse and his family lived in Bethlehem. We'll see that here in just a second. But the scriptures talk about this Messiah as being the root of Jesse. Okay, flip with me now. Look at Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. As we just keep working through these scriptures, guys, they're so, so amazing. This is what's interesting. Look at Isaiah 11, verse 1. It says, there shall come forth a, a shoot, okay, a shoot or a tender branch from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And so this kind of sets the, the context, and in verse 10, look at verse 10, uh, Isaiah eleven ten. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for all the people, 
Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So think about it. you got three images here. I'm going to make this very simple for you. You've got a shoot of Jesse. You've got the root of Jesse, and you have a stump. All right, now we're talking about trees, right? Everybody got the picture, right? Jesus is the root of Jesse, okay? That means that he comes before Jesse. Now, from, a, um, from his identity, from an identity perspective, how is it that Jesus, who is supposed to be a descendant of Jesse, come after Jesse, how could he come before him? Because he's what? Because he's God. He is the ancient of days, right? He is the, he is the one from ancient times. His origins are from of old, right? So that, again, speaks to the, the deity of Jesus Christ. He's the root of Jesse. In other words, Jesse came from Jesus because Jesus is the creator. But he's also, uh, it also talks about the stump of Jesse. All right, so if you go out and you're walking in your yard and you see a big tree stump, what does that mean? What happened to that tree? It got cut down. That tree is what? Dead. So Jesus is the stump of Jesse. You know what that is a picture of? It's a picture of him being what? Cut down. Him being nailed to a what? Nailed to a cross. But yet, have you come out and you've ever seen a tree stump that's been cut down? It's dead. You walk out there the next year and you see a little bitty shoot growing up out of the stump. You ever seen that before? Voluntary? That means there's new what? New life, new growth. What is that the picture of? the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see how all these pictures, so he comes before Jesse, he's going to be a descendant of Jesse down the road, he's the stump of Jesse because he got cut off as the one who gave his life being the crucified Christ, and yet from that dead stump, there was what that swung up? New life sprang up because he is the shoot of Jesse, and he becomes what's called this righteous branch. This righteous branch, which made me think about John 15. Jesus said, I am the what? The vine. I'm the true vine, and you are the what? You are the branches. Now, there's a critical word in John 15 that Jesus talks about. Again, he uses all this imagery for a reason. He wants us to, to see it. He wants us to understand it. He's saying that we are designed and called to bear what? Your life should be bearing some fruit. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect. But there should be fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Anybody who's struggling with patience? Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Not that we're perfect in these things, but these are things that a believer should, should have. But how does that work? See, we are branches. We have to stay connected to the what? To the vine. And the Bible, Jesus tells us in John 15, he says, abide in me and I will what? I will abide in you. Does anybody know what it means to abide? It means to make your home with somebody. It means to dwell closely with somebody. It means to stay what? Connected to somebody. It's like God is the source. He's the power source. Anybody ever try to run an electrical device without being plugged into the what? To the power source. It's not going to work, is it? That's who we are, guys. We are like God's children, but we are ne we necessarily have to draw everything, all the power, all the strength, all the fruit comes from us staying close and connected 
to the true vine who is Jesus Christ. And the further that we get away from him, and if we're ever trying to operate without him, guys, we just simply are not able to bear any what? We're not going to bear any fruit on our own. That's the symbol that Jesus is trying to get through to us here today. So I think many of us today, including myself, especially this time of year, is that we get to running around and looking at everything else in the world, everything else that's going on around us, and we forget to just simply abide in who? In Jesus Christ. And anybody ever get worn out and overwhelmed and frustrated and, and during this time of year? I mean, it's, it's, it's so sad, but many of us, we get frustrated and overwhelmed and, and stressed out and anxious, and we, we spend money that we don't have to buy gifts for people that we don't know to impress people that, that don't even care, right? I mean, these are, these are the things that we do this time of year, and many times that's getting us disconnected from the, from the vine, and we are out there and we're not bearing any fruit because we're not staying connected and close to the Lord. He is the stump of Jesse. He's the root of Jesse. He is the shoot of Jesse. He is the one that we have to stay connected to. And finally, finally, he's the son of David. Jesus, the chosen one, he would be the promised son of David. And listen, this is the key. And he is the servant king. He's the servant king of Israel. If you go back and you read a history of all the kings of both Israel, the northern, and Judah, the southern kingdom, there were a few decent kings mixed in among the, the, the southern kingdom, Judah. The northern kingdom never had one righteous king at all. David was a king that got it right for the most part. Here's the thing that David did right. He was a man after God's what? Own heart. He never went to worship other gods. Did David have failures? Absolutely. Made some major flaws, had some big sins in his life, suffered some very severe consequences. David, again, not a perfect man, but David was a king after God's own heart. And you know what David did better than any other king in Israel? He did not come necessarily to be served. He came to what? He came to serve. You know why David was such a good king? Because where did David spend the first half of his life? Out in the fields as a shepherd. He got the worst, dirtiest, most insignificant job of all his brothers. He's out there tending all the dirty sheep, living out under the stars, no credit for what he was doing. But you know what he learned in the fields? He learned how to be a shepherd. He learned how to be a servant. That's why his heart was right before God. And again, you see the imagery. Jesus, he is both our shepherd, but he is a king. He was a servant king. Now, we've talked about Abraham, man, he had significance. We know Moses was a significant player in Scripture, and I'd say David is right there. If you want to say the top three uh, characters or saints in the, in the Hebrew Bible, the top three, you got Abraham, you got Moses, and you got who? David. Jesus had to be the son of Abraham. He had to be a descendant of who? David. And guess what? Both Mary and her husband Joseph, both of them, came from David's family. He was a son of David. He had to be born in the city of David. Anybody know what city that is? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That's where David's family, remember Jesse and his family lived there. David grew up in Bethlehem. Jesus was prophesied to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. That's the city of David. Let me share an interesting fact to you. Now remember, Mary is 
pregnant, and it's getting close for her to, to, to give birth, right? Joseph is with her. He stays with her through all this. It's a big scandal. Nobody really knows what's going on. She's a young child. She's probably 13, 14 years old. She's betrothed to be married to Joseph. They're living in Nazareth, which is way up north in Israel. She's getting close to give birth to the Messiah. But there's one problem with that. The Messiah has to be born where? In Bethlehem. What in the world is going to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem in order for that baby to be born on time? Well, it just so happens that in, the, in those days there was a Caesar by the name of Caesar Augustus. And oh, he just for some reason decided to call a what? A census. And when he called the census, not knowing anything that was going on with Jesus as being the Messiah, he called the census where everybody had to return to their what? Hometown. It was about a five-day journey for Joseph and Mary to get from north down to south into, into the uh, hometown of Bethlehem. And it just so happened that because this census was called by the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus, that at just the right time, Mary and Joseph arrived where? In Bethlehem in the city of David, so that the Messiah would be born exactly where he was supposed to be born. Isn't that amazing? And so we see here that Jesus is the servant king of Israel. I want to read one more scripture to you guys, and I'm done. Flip with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's, this probably just... just sums up the, the character and the nature of our servant king, the Lord Jesus Christ, better than anything else in Scripture. Philippians 2, verse 5. Back up to verse 4. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the form, the very nature of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped or something to hold on to, but he emptied himself. And he, by taking the form of a what? Servant. A servant. Being born in the likeness of men, there he is. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that amazing? That it is in the humility of Jesus and his willingness to come. He said, so I did not come to be served. But to what? Serve. To serve. To give my life. I did not come to take. I came to what? Give. Didn't Jesus say it's better to give than to receive? Now, here's what I want to challenge you with as I, as I wrap this up. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. And I think I said a little bit about this last week, guys, but I just really want to emphasize it again this week, okay? Christmas time is here. You got the Christmas songs on the radio. You got your decorations up, possibly. You're getting ready for all the family activities. Some of you may all be, may be doing that today. 
you're out shopping, you got parties, you're, you're trying to get gifts, you're, you're doing all the things that we typically do, and whether good or bad, whatever you think about Christmas, that's okay. The consumer part of it, the materialist, uh, materialism side of it, all of that can be a distraction. We know that. We understand that. But here's what I want to challenge you with today. Just one simple thing is that we, as believers in Jesus, we become children of God. He, we, he becomes our God. We become his people. We become inheritors, co-heirs uh, with Jesus Christ. We become sons and daughters of the living God. We're brought into this family. We're supposed to be like Christ. Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? It's to be like who? To be like Christ. So let me just ask you this one question. What's the greatest way, especially this time of the year, what's the greatest way we can be like our servant king? By serving. And let me tell you something. Is it very hard to look around our world today and find somebody in need? Is it difficult to to look around your neighborhood, your workplace, this community, your family, to find somebody that, that needs help, that needs, that needs to be encouraged. Maybe they have a, a financial burden. Maybe they have a, an emotional burden. Maybe they just need prayer. Maybe they're sick in the hospital. Maybe they're shut-ins and they can't get out of the house, whatever it may be. Maybe they're widowed and, and they, they don't have any family this time of year. This is a very difficult time of year for many, many people, guys. What I'm challenging with today is that if we don't serve, we're not really carrying out the spirit of Christmas. It's not about any of that other stuff at the end of the day. It's truly about representing our servant king who came not to be served, but to serve, and that we get that opportunity right now. And it should be our life, it should be our lifestyle, not just for this time of year, but especially this time of year. We should be thinking about ways to what? To serve. Now, I want to thank the people that came out yesterday. I don't know how many did we have come through, Chris? 415 people just came through here yesterday. And those of you who came out here, how many of you get a blessing out of coming to help group? It's one of the greatest things that we do. Because you just, you just, there's no motive. There's no ulterior motive here. We just want to bless you. We just want to serve you, right? What an opportunity. That's just one opportunity. I think about my brother Terry. They're about to leave here in just a few minutes. They're about to step out of this church. They're going to go out into the street. Man, it's getting cold tonight, isn't it, Terry? Lots of people out there are going to be out in the cold, living on the streets. Guess what they're going to get in just a minute? Hot meals some warm hugs, maybe some, some winter clothes. Guys, if you've never been with our Friends with Eternal Bread, if you've never been here with our help group or whatever that may be, this is a serving church. I want to say that. I'm, I thank God to be a part. We, we belong to a very serving church. We may not be very big in number, but we have a real big heart. I'm thankful for that. And some of you guys are missing out because you've never really taken that opportunity to jump right in there and see the blessing that you get for representing Jesus to the world and the community around us by simply just giving some time and serving somebody who is in need. That is such a blessing. So I want to encourage you guys, between now and Christmas, which is next Sunday, or between now and the end of the year, find a way, pray about a way. And if you can't find anybody that you, that you can serve, come see me. I got plenty of ways that I can help you find somebody to serve this Christmas. Amen? It's not very, very difficult, okay? So as we go, here's your application, okay? We let our light shine. And when we, when we serve other people, guys, we actually bring the kingdom of God to that person. 
when you come and give some give and help to somebody and encourage somebody and meet a need in somebody's life that is literally bringing the kingdom of god because we serve the king jesus we bring the kingdom with us and that is where we bring his light so we let our light shine this christmas by serving others in the name of jesus and when we do that guess what we bring glory to our father in heaven so let your light shine before men so that when they see your good deeds they may not glorify you but glorify who our father who is in heaven that's what christmas is all about amen Amen. Bow your heads. We're going to sing one more song before we go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. Lord, thank you for sending your son into this world to save us. Thank you for giving 